This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Once again, welcome back to our match preview podcast and all of our coverage on Minnesota United as we head towards the postseason. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin, as always. Lots coming your way. We'll talk about the headlines in Major League Soccer very much in the second segment. But first of all, Kindred, let's talk about um, what was an intriguing 90 minutes here at Allianz Field um, against Chicago Fire. I think you and I were both impressed with Chicago Fire and what they had to offer. I remember having a, a chat with a few people uh, the other day about the fire and look no doubt it's it's a new era for them as many as 18 new bodies new coach new logo um new-ish stadium uh new playing field at the very least um seems as though they are starting to figure things out um it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were one of the teams to watch next season if they make a couple of decent additions with all of that in mind were we right to be as surprised as we were with how they looked here at Allianz Field well, there's a couple things for me there. I mean, first of all, I can't say, you know, with a straight face or an honest face that I've watched every minute of every one of their matches on the season. So I, I can't say that, you know, I was I was surprised just because of the, the, the situation and the climate and also the fact that they had 17, 18, whatever it was, new players, new coach. You don't expect any team really to look as sharp as they did, as cohesive as they did, as dangerous as they did. And quite honestly, even their back line looked pretty solid. And I guess, you know what, I if I would have looked at the fact that it's Francisco Calvo, which, you know, you get what you get with Francisco. You get some craziness, but you also get some good leadership. You have Bobby Shuttleworth, who's been sitting in behind them. And then, as we talked about, um, so I think um, – I was surprised at how good they looked and what they were trying to do going forward. And um, they clearly had a, a specific game plan on how they wanted to try to play with Barrich. And um, so I don't know. I mean, I just thought I just thought they looked really good. And I, I don't know if it was a combination for me of Minnesota United just coming out a little bit slow and a little flat and then Chicago pounced on that. It was almost like they could sense it right from the first kick that they were on the front foot. And they capitalized on their chances. And, and the, I mean, they were nice goals. The first goal was a beautiful goal. And, you know, that was well played. It almost looked like a training ground situation with the diagonal ball over the top from Calvo um, on the right-hand side and serve it in and bear it with a really nice header to score the goal. So I thought that Chicago looked really good. I don't think I expected them to look that good, that cohesive. But if you look back at the results, even though they haven't had a ton of wins, they've had so many draws and they've had so many tight games. And I think from a mentality standpoint, and Tony Miola told us this last week, that it seems like the group is really together, that they believe in what they're doing, that they have a faith in the process, even throughout the changes of the three different formations as the season has gone on. And I think that kind of showed last or in the last match, because even though um, they've gotten all these draws and they haven't had as many wins, they hadn't gotten a victory on the road yet on the season, you could sense a belief in what they were doing. And, and they came out full of confidence in, in that match. How and why were they allowed to play the way that they did? I just think there were too many, too much space and time in the midfield. And even though they went direct a lot from the back line to the front line, and but the outside backs were able to get forward. They found space on the outsides. Frankowski, I thought, was phenomenal. Every time he got the ball on his foot, 
he was sprinting at full speed ahead. And I think that catches, uh, whether it's a midfielder or whether it's a defender on that side of the pitch, off guard. When someone doesn't take a nice, easy touch, survey the field, and then decide to go for it. I mean, this was like he was buzzing. He picked up. He was faster with the ball than without the ball. And when you have outside backs or outside mids that are willing to do that and really force the issue, I think that catch it, it caught the midfield and the back line off guard. And we talked about the nuance uh, and the unfamiliarity of the two center backs playing together. You had back-to-back games for Brent Coleman, who you know hadn't had only played a minute in 2020 prior to the last match he played 90 minutes. So you don't know how he was feeling physically in the recovery mode. He's playing alongside Jose Aha, who you know hadn't played in quite some time. So for me, this was just a situation where they capitalized on opportunities. They capitalized on the space in the middle of the field. I don't think Marlon. Harrison had his best game. He looked a little bit lost. Um, and again, that's just maybe not from playing a whole lot of minutes. And um, I, I think that, you know, you could tell there were some struggles there between him and Jan and communication and who was covering what ground, who stepped into what ball. And then you've got two center backs behind them that are also new. So just a lot of situations and areas on the pitch where I think that Chicago was able to capitalize on and take advantage of. And let's give credit where credit is due here as well, because Chicago Fire, let's be honest, we've said it multiple times on on our commentary, Kendra, that it it could, probably should have been um, a much larger lead than what they had, um, given the other opportunities that they were able to muster in in the opening 45. Beric had a chance cleared off the line by uh, Kalman, remember, and uh, Mihailovic missed a a gilt-edge opportunity as well. Um, With all of that in, in mind... Where do we stand on, on, on the opinion of the two centre-halves? As you mentioned, it was the first time they'd, they'd played together. It was another new centre-half partnership for Minnesota United because, once again, of the absurd amount of injuries that they, they've sustained this season. Yeah, and I mean, I think this is a situation where, um, you know, as you said, give credit to Chicago and how they, you know, put forth their attack, and it could have been nothing easily, even earlier in the match. I mean, the, the one by Barrett that got called offside late in the game, which was the correct call. I mean, that was a late game opportunity, but it could have been 3 nothing early. And I think that would have really done Minnesota United in. I mean, that is a big hole to dig out of, um, no matter what your talent level is or what substitutions you throw on the field. But, you know, I mean, it's hard for me to really judge the two center backs. They weren't great in that game. They would tell you the same. I think there was some discombobulation, miscommunication, just not on the same page, uh, maybe different styles. And and Brent told us last week he had seen a lot of Jose Aha. I mean, down in Orlando, Jose played every minute of just about every match down there. And Brent was on with the team. He traveled with the team and was participating in training with them and just didn't play in the matches. So he saw a lot of Jose and his style and what he brought. But, you know, I just think that the unfamiliarity and the lack of game fitness for those two probably really showed. And just deciding who's going to step, who's going to drop, who's going to cover, who's covering for who, what are your strengths on the field? You can watch tape of it, but until you actually play together, you may not know what uh, your your teammates' strengths are on the field. And I think it was highlighted there by a ridiculously good forward in Robert Barrett, who has been on fire since the month of September and has, what, now 11 goals on the season um, for Chicago Fire. And you can see his quality. He's another one of those number nines that's willing to work. I mean, he doesn't just sit there centrally between the two center backs and try to get on the end of something. I mean, he was going side to side. He was um, trying to find the ball. He was checking back. And um, I just thought, again, 
What we've seen a lot in MLS teams this year is the fluidity of the front four, the movement. Nobody is really necessarily like, oh, you're the right winger, you're the left winger, or the right forward, left forward. You know, it just, people like to cut inside. They like to flow. They can create. They can cover for each other. And I thought we saw that a lot with the Chicago Fire, and it created problems for a very new back line in the sense that they hadn't played together. The back line was, was tested supremely, and, and you get the sense even if the usual suspects were available, it would have been a very busy evening for them. Um, a lot of that, f for me, comes down to, and we've heard this phrase before, about defending from the front and defending with the first man. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I actually, prior to the game against Chicago, I, I wonder if they would play this way. Because remember in 2019, when Bastian Schweinsteiger was essentially playing at centre-half, um, and if he wasn't at centre-half, he was at the base of the midfield and he would drop in between the two centre-backs and he would ping balls yes. all over the place and he would um, dictate a very direct game for the fire. It was the same again here in the sense that the ball was at the feet of Francisco Calvo mm -hmm. so much and he was pinging balls all over Allianz Field. He had the freedom of, of the stadium at one stage. Um, for me, there's not enough... Pressure, pressure coming from centre forward and from the wide players particularly. I thought, you know, it looked at, at, at some stages when Minnesota were on, on the defensive side of things, they sort of morphed into somewhat of a 4-4-2. And a lot of that then comes down to the centre forwards uh, putting pressure on, on the centre backs and the back line of the fire. I didn't think Molino did that anywhere near enough. I didn't think it was Molino's best, best evening at all, if I'm being totally honest. Um, and I think that caused a problem for, for Minnesota is that they allowed Chicago Fire to be as direct as they were. Um, and then when they didn't go direct, they went into the center of midfield, which was an area that you pinpointed in, in the pregame show as well. Madran and Jimenez were, were fabulous. And let's be totally honest, completely bossed the center of midfield yes. as well. But the worrying thing here, Kendra, and we have to stress again, the fact that Minnesota have a ridiculous amount of injuries. That This is nowhere near their first team. But the, the, the really concerning thing here is what Adrian Heath said afterwards. Um, and we'll go into it into detail perhaps a little more here shortly. But essentially what he was saying to us after the game was he's fed up of having to continuously motivate. Um, this is now an apparent issue. This has not been the first time this conversation has been had internally. What, why is that? What, why do I understand sometimes different players are motivated by different things and, and whatnot, but, but surely given the circumstances and the situation that this club find themselves in, knowing that victory would have, have certainly not solidified, but it would have gone a long way to securing fourth place in a home playoff game, you, you don't need much more motivation than that, surely. No, and you know, as a competitor, you just have... You this is one thing I've always said my whole career. I've always said this is you may have the crappiest game of your life. Your touch off your shin every time. You, I mean, whatever it might be, you might just have a bad night. But the one thing you can always control is how hard you work. And that's the one thing that they didn't get early on from this team. And I think that's what Adrian Heath was so upset about, is that he had to lay into these guys at the halftime, try to get them fired up, try to get a spark out of them and energy. They did come out with a little more of that in the second half. But even then, Chicago still was able to kind of weather that storm almost. I mean, I think it was 55 or 60 minutes in, and you and I were like, holy moly, there needs to be a substitution here. You know, they need Reynoso. They need a creative piece. Now, from an energy perspective, it looked a little better, but... 
all in all what they were able to create going forward. And I think ultimately as an individual, you have to find the motivation within and just understand that it may not be your best night. It may not be your best performance. You may not be feeling your best, but you still can control certain things like working hard. And I think that is what was frustrating for Adrian after the game. And that's why he kind of was talking about tactics versus just effort. And how many times have you and I said that? We, we sometimes reference it more on set pieces and corner kicks. But it's, it's all over the field. It's getting to the first ball. It's the amount of pressure you're putting on a player. How quickly are you getting? Are you reading it? Do you see that that's probably where a pass is going to go, but you wait, you hesitate a second, and then you get to it, but it's too late? Sure. It's about the anticipation, the energy, just the willingness to do the work. And I think that is what he feels was lacking. And ultimately... I'm not inside these guys' head. I'm not inside that locker room. I'm not inside, you know, any aspect of Minnesota United right now except for the three of us and in and, and the broadcast booth with our lack of being at training. So I think it is even harder for us to try to pick apart and figure out why things are happening the way they are. And let's be fair. I mean, they hadn't even hardly been able to train the last week. So I, right. there wasn't even a moment where they're able to get on the pitch and either be mad at each other, frustrated with each other, lifting each other up, building confidence. We have no, we have no idea and they haven't been able to be together either. So um, I think that ultimately the, these guys, if you're not willing to play for somebody else, like your teammate alongside you, which is usually your other motivation, right? Like I'm going to play for the guy next to me and then they play, you know, it kind of trickles down. You play for your team, you play for your club, you play for your coach, you play for yourself first and foremost, you know. But if that's not going to happen, then somehow they've got to find it. I, and I don't know where that comes from, because if it doesn't come from internally, then you're it's a real pickle. You know, I mean, you're you're going to find yourself in a situation that if the playoffs is a motivation enough, if your career is a motivation enough, if just within yourself, the the competitive drive isn't enough, then that's going to be a problem. And if this was one night, I think, you know, we we wouldn't be talking about it. But I think that. It's been a theme with this club for a while where they seem to start slow in matches. And we're talking seasons now, not just 2020. I distinctly remember the game at Houston last year coming off a 2 nothing win at LAFC. And those really fabulous goals, to be fair, by Mason Toy in that game. I mean, he had himself a day, right? And everyone's riding high. Take notice of Minnesota United. You know, everyone's talking about Minnesota United. And then you go and lay an egg at Houston, who at the time was not a very good team. And I think that's kind of this, this club right now, the inconsistency factor. And sometimes it just comes down to those slow starts and the lack of what seems outwardly like motivation and willingness to work. And I think that's tough because you, if, if, any player, anybody heard that, I think they would really take offense to it. Yes. But some some of them will have to really look at themselves in the mirror honestly, players, staff, anybody, and say, "What are we doing the right things to get the best out of ourselves and our players? And I don't know, and, and that's the dilemma for me, and we are not on the inside. I am not on the inside to know exactly what those conversations are like, but something's got to change. I mean, all of a sudden, decision day on Sunday – it always had meaning, but now it really does with the way Dallas is playing in the form and, and watching the rest of the results uh, from Wednesday night. Yeah, it's amazing we're talking about all these issues with the club, and yet here they are with a chance to finish fourth in the Western Conference. And host a playoff game, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's got to be motivation, right? Has to be. It yeah. has to be. A, a home playoff game. Um, I think in, in the current climate in which we're living as well, 
um, you would assume a home game is is humongous motivation because you won't have to go and fly to a stadium on the same day and, and play the biggest game of the season, which will be a, a, a single elimination playoff game. Um, home playoff game has to be the aim for this club. Um, how much, in your opinion, did Minnesota United miss Michael Boxall? Oh, massive. I mean... MVP of the team, without a doubt, in my opinion. Yeah, and, you know, I saw the other day there was a thing on Twitter. I don't know if it was extra time or who put it out there, but they were they were talking about best center backs or best defender. And he wasn't even listed. And I'm like, how do you not list Michael Boxel? He's had, what, how many different center back pairings this year? Five or something yeah, like five, that? Yeah. Yeah. And it took him being out. We all knew, we all knew how important he was to this team. And I think his teammates know and the staff knows, but until he's really out, other people may not appreciate how good he actually is and doesn't get enough credit for it. I don't know. Has he even made team of the week this year? I don't think so. That's a very that good to question. Me is what a, that to me is a slight because if you watch time and time again how important he is to this, not just this back line, but this team, you could see it in this, this last game. Just his... His ability to organize, to adapt, to adjust, to cover when his other teammates are making certain decisions or mistakes or going forward or whatever. There's a comfort level with him back there. And I think they really missed him, especially Romain, Roman uh, on the right-hand side. I think you can tell that there's a familiarity there when he plays with them. Almost becomes an expectancy, doesn't it? When someone is so consistent and delivering on, on a consistent basis, it's not until you don't have them, you yes. realize what you have. And that's in every aspect of life, by the way. But, but yes. certainly when, when it comes to someone like Michael Boxall, I think it really showed. And, and look, as we said as well, we have to point out that, that Aha and Kalman um, weren't 100%. There's no way Jose Aha could have been having spent the amount of time out that he did to then be thrust into the action. It was a tall order. Um, and I think it's safe to say they did about as well as they could, but there was an obvious player missing. Um, and that, that's credit to Michael Boxall for sure. And, and going back to your point about the pressure on Francisco Calvo and lack thereof, I think that was that was an excellent point because I don't know if people underestimated his ability to ping the ball accurately. <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense, because there were a few that even went astray in the Minnesota United game. But we saw him do that how many times with Minnesota United? And I will say this, Tony Miola heaped praise on Francisco Calva and what he has been for Chicago Fire and, and alongside Pineda yes. um, on the back line and helping that youngster in the center back role. So he was kind of like, Tony was kind of like, hey, I don't know what the situation was at Minnesota, how that went for you guys, but he's been really good here for us from a leadership standpoint. And he picked out the passes and pinged that diagonal ball and was able to find the runners. And it was, I mean, a huge piece of that was the lack of pressure on, on Francisco Calvo and whether it came from, uh, or didn't come from Ethan Finley or Kevin Lino or Kai Kamara. I think those three on that side had to kind of share that load and they didn't get that. And then that puts, even Jan Gregor, puts Marlon Harrison in a tough spot, and it sure as heck puts DeBassi in a very tough spot because that's the angle that Calvo was pinging that ball. So let's focus on some of the positives from the game against Chicago Fire. No doubt when Emmanuel Reynoso came on, he completely changed the game. Jose Aha grabbed his first goal for Minnesota United in Major League Soccer. Um, and it, it seemed as though then, Kindra, momentum was behind Minnesota United. And we I remember distinctly remember saying to you on the commentary, isn't it amazing what a goal does in this game? A goal does 
does. And you're right, that substitution of Emmanuel Reynoso. And we wondered when we would see him, if we would see him. We had heard he had a sore ankle, and you never know what the situation is um, when you're lacking depth. But they needed that spark. And what he does when he comes on the field, and we, we both said this, if, even if he's not the one actually creating the goal or creating the opportunity, it's just his presence on the pitch seems to lift the team. It seems to give them a sense of confidence and energy about them that all of a sudden, hey, something might happen here. We have this this number 10, this creator, and nothing against Kevin Molino. He can be fabulous at times. Um, there's something about Emmanuel Reynoso, and he gives you the defensive side of it too. But then they go and they get this goal, and I think that, you know, Minnesota United, what a goal, what a difference a goal makes. It changes the energy, changes the momentum. You could see right away they run and get the ball. They put it on the, at the center circle to get the game going again, knowing that there's an opportunity for them to still go and get this game. And you could just sense it. You could feel it and the energy about the team. And – I think Emmanuel Reynoso just loves to play the game. I mean, you can just, he, he's like a little kid out there. There's, mm. there's just a, a, a desire, a competitive nature about him. And I think he relishes the number 10 role, which Mark Watson told us. I mean, he was practically in tears when they told him he was going to have the number 10 jersey because of what that means to him and where he comes from. So I think that um, that was fabulous. I, I, I mean, I've said this to you a thousand times. I think Robin Lewis on the right-hand side is a different player. We talk about having an energy about them. Yes. Robin Lud has a different energy the second he shifts over there and the amount of times the ball finds him and he finds the ball. And right away we saw a combination with him and Renoso. You can see some nice chemistry developing there. And Robin just looks like he knows more what to do with it and where he's going with it the second he gets it on the right and he cuts in on his left. So um, that was a massive bright spot. And there were huge bright moments from from this game from Minnesota United, it was just unfortunate that you find yourself in a two nothing hole. But there were bright spots and some combination play, some really good overlapping runs by Debassi. I thought where he was picking his moments to go forward, making himself available on the outside, and you know Romain Metzenier just continues to do what he does, and I I still think he's one of the best, if not the best right back in in soccer in MLS. You'll have to forgive the the constant beeping you may very well hear. We're recording <laughs> this in the uh, radio broadcasting booth at Allianz Field and they're obviously doing a lot of work getting the game ready for Sunday, getting the stadium ready uh, for Sunday. Well, so we did have to open the windows because we were sweating in here. <laughs> Last time day. we didn't even come in here because we would have been freezing. So, you know, <laughs> leave it to Minnesota, but I'll take this weather. That's the real story of the week. Uh, so before we do go to break, uh, you mentioned Homo uh, Messinier there, Kendra. Um, I think prior to this, it was no assist in eight. Um, in my opinion, I, I don't think he's been anywhere near the player that, that we saw when he first arrived at Minnesota United. But we got a glimpse of what he can offer and how important he is, particularly in this system. And Robin Lourdes was the recipient of a fabulous cross-in. So nice to see Roman get back into form. And I actually thought he was in tremendous form in March. When he came in in preseason, he, he did not look good in Orlando. Um, and again, I mean, I don't know if it was just the heat, the climate, because then we saw the same from him when he was in Houston and Dallas. Just did not. I mean, you remember that one game I said, is he sick or something? Does he yes. have the flu when Fafa Pico, who we'll see on Sunday mm -hmm. if he's healthy, um, will be up against Roman Metinier again, just had a day against Roman. And this it's completely unusual to see that. And the last month, two months, I don't know, time's a blur now, six weeks, he looks so good. The Roman we're used to seeing, getting up and down, making good choices defensively, covering for people, serving great crosses in, putting them on a dime. Um, 
you know, and, and being involved in the attack, which is what Adrian Heath and this club need from him. They need that from their outside backs, that combination play, the willingness to even go inside and not always overlap on the outside. So we all love to see Roma Metanier smile on the pitch, and he looks like he truly enjoys and loves the game. And when he's playing well, you see even more. And he had a fabulous game the other night, I thought, against Chicago Fire. And, yes, put a, a perfect service in. And uh, it was nice to see him get on the board with an assist. Lovely execution from the header from Robin Lurd as well. And uh, we'll continue to talk about Robin Lurd and the rest of Minnesota United after the break. A big game coming their way on Sunday. It is decision day in Major League Soccer. Minnesota United welcoming FC Dallas. And it's simple. All they have to do is win and they'll claim fourth spot in the Western Conference, meaning a post-season home game will be confirmed. Plenty coming your way after the break. We'll talk about the headlines in Major League Soccer and Decision Day forthcoming and Minnesota United against FC Dallas. Next. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. And a very warm welcome back to our Match Preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. So before we talk about Decision Day and Minnesota United against FC Dallas, let's talk about some Major League Soccer headlines, shall we, Kindra? According to The Athletic and several journalists at that publication, things not going very well in terms of contract negotiations between Seattle Sounders and Brian Schmetzer, which I think raised the eyebrows around Major League Soccer Schmetzer, since taking over, has guided the Sounders to three MLS Cups in four years. Um, one, two of them is Mr. Seattle Soccer, has been there since the 70s as a player, as a coach, director of football, various different roles. Finally got the actual Major League Soccer job as head coach of, of Seattle Sounders. He was the, the head coach back in USL um, many, many moons ago. And it's gone very, very well for him. So why now? Why would there be any issues in terms of bringing him back for the long term? You know, I, w I would love to be a fly on that wall because I do wonder, and I, I read an article the other day, an interview that was done with Garth Lagerway about trying to re-sign Brian Schmetzer and just what their... And I think they all understand the importance of him to the club, to Seattle soccer, to the, the entire franchise. And as Lagerway correctly put it, Rightly put it, he's been here, Schmetzer's been here long before Lagerway was part of the picture, right, in Seattle. So he understands the importance of him to this club. I wonder what the sticking point is. Is it years? Is it money? Is it, I mean, that to me actually would be surprising that yeah. it would be money because I think, first of all, I'm sure they, they pay him well. I don't know what he gets paid. Yeah. But he also doesn't want to go anywhere else. I wouldn't think. I mean, Brian Schmetzer, as you said, his family, his dad, his life, everybody, their whole family's life is Seattle soccer in some way, shape, or form at some level. And so I'd be curious to see what the sticking points are. Is it the finer details of the contract? Is it Does he want more control of something? I don't know mm. how much control he has. Is there some other title he wants? Is there an aspect that he doesn't agree with about the way they go about things? But... And from the outside looking in, it seems like he has an awful lot of say with the roster and the signings and the players they're bringing back in. He's brought the band back together again when we talk about Brad Smith and Roman Torres and all those guys. So 
I'd be curious to know what the uproar is there and what the sticking points are. And it might be, I might have to do a little digging before Sunday's game in case we hit on this one again. Or maybe he just doesn't really want to address it during the season. Right. I mean, we've heard that a lot of times from coaches and managers and players as well, that they're just going about their business. There's too much to worry about right now. And I'll get to it when I'm done with the year. And maybe Schmetzer feels confident that they will get it done. And now all of a sudden, it you know, maybe Lagerwey said it in passing one day and it's caught fire and now the whole world knows about it that they are working on this deal and this contract so um I hope it gets done because I enjoy him coaching in the league I think he's a great coach I think the players seem to really like him and respond to him and um uh, clearly he's done something right in Seattle because of exactly what you said he stepped right in and didn't miss a beat yeah, let's hope it gets figured out there. We like Brian Schmitzer, don't mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. Well, he apparently likes us, so, well, it's, always good so. To, it's always good to have those fans around because <laughs> sometimes there aren't many. <laughs> yeah, um, seems to be um, a similar situation in Toronto as well. Greg Vanney um, has his contract expire at the end of this season. Uh, another manager who has guided Toronto FC to heights they could only dream of several years ago. One would assume that would get done at some stage as well. But but it, it is quite shocking that it's gotten to this stage now to the point where contractual issues have made the press. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but I feel like it was, was it a year or two ago when, did, when he signed that other extension that there was conversation that he maybe wasn't going to return or they weren't going to bring him back or, you know, uh, before their last cup run maybe that, you know, Toronto would go through these ups and downs. And maybe it was when Javinko left. You know, there was kind of – he was sort of unhappy with the situation. You know, he kind of went out on a bad note at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how, if you're Toronto, you don't bring him back. Unless, once again, we are on the outside looking in. You never know internally what the conversations might be or yes. how the players are really responding or he responds to the players or what's going on behind closed doors. But he seems like one of those guys that, again, just has become a staple of that football club and clearly has found success. And he's had some really good players. So let's not, you know, shy away from uh, the quality of the players that they have on that roster and what they've been able to sign. But just because you have good players doesn't necessarily mean you get the results. I mean, we've seen that a few times with a team like LA Galaxy, for example. You can spend lots of money, but if you can't have a coach that can put it together or uh, a, a tactical plan or, you know, Atlanta United when Frank DeBoer was there as well, he still had all the talent in the world, but didn't have the right system for those players. So Greg Vanny would be another one for sure that you would think that assuming everything is is what it seems from our vantage point, that you would want Greg Vanny to be in charge of your club and continue on forward. If if the price is right, you know, I don't think that the, the clubs want to go in some gigantic hole um, for a head coach, but you gotta you're gonna pay what you get, you're gonna get what you pay for. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go from shaky to what seems to be a fairly stable situation now. Colorado Rapids, victorious away at Portland Timbers. And because of the points per game system the league has now adopted, the Rapids are in the playoffs, Kendra. Um, I think it's safe to say with some of the results that they've been able to master over the course of the last week or so, I'm not going to go as far as, as to say they deserve to be in the postseason. But when you've got more points, having played less games than a team like Vancouver Whitecaps and LA Galaxy and Rail Salt Lake, there is something to be said now with the extended amount of teams that are available and, and, and are allowed to get into the postseason. You have to put your hands up to Colorado Rapids and say, well done. 
Well, first of all, I think the biggest thing for me was, because we talked about this even wrapping up the game the other night, is our, how unhappy are people going to be that Colorado Rapids have gotten into the playoff on a points-per-game situation, right? Well, they find themselves in seventh, but they're also more points ahead of Vancouver Whitecaps. Yes, yes. Which is huge, in my opinion. The fact that they're not just getting in on points per game, that they would have been ahead of Vancouver Whitecaps anyways, that they would have sit, sat in that eighth position instead of the seventh position. They would have been behind San Jose Earthquakes, but still ahead of Vancouver Whitecaps if it were based on points. So I think there's something to be said there. They can't take away from the fact that the Colorado Rapids didn't have to deal with the rigmarole of travel and tight schedules and, you know, flying in on day of games and all that kind of stuff. But they had their own issues they were dealing with, not training together for nearly a month, the unknowns, trying to do things over Zoom, the questions, probably a bit of a blame game going on there as well. As much as you try to stay together as a team, if you have 18 positives or whatever the total was in the first team in the end of the day, you're looking around going, okay, guys, Who's not doing what they're supposed to be doing here? We're trying to, this is our livelihood. So there was probably some, you know, come to Jesus moments for that group. And Robin Frazier in his first full season had his hands full. So, you know, ultimately credit to the Colorado Rapids that they find themselves in this position. They do have some really good pieces on that roster, some really good players, and they are catching fire at the right time. And you talk about finding motivation that you're finally back on the pitch feeling rejuvenated after you've been stuck at home on Zoom calls for a mm-hmm. month. I think we've seen that, and we saw that in the Colorado Rapids game here as well. Talking of rejuvenation, a feel-good story for San Jose Earthquakes. It looked like they were done and dusted just, what, a couple of weeks ago. And we will never, ever forget the the score lines that they lost in, in Seattle and then at home to, uh, what was it, Portland Timbers as well. There were, there were so many obscure and quite frankly unbelievable score lines and, and many many were calling for Matias Almeida to be let go and yet here they are they beat LAFC by three goals to two um, at Avaya Stadium and have themselves into the postseason and well done to them and you know I wonder too if a lot of this is just the talking heads and the media get too hyped up right because we were all on I shouldn't I'm not going to lump everybody together but the players and a lot of people were on the Matias Almeida train and all we ever heard is the team building and the team bonding and what he does and Tommy Thompson told us that we heard Shay Salinas talk about it Chris Wondolowski has talked about it but then when start, things start going bad things were going really bad and all of a sudden it's like Matias has lost the locker room and this and that you know so I think I just wonder sometimes if it gets overhyped by just the media itself the extremes we go to of one side or the other too much on the train and then everybody's jumping off the train and they were terrible for a stretch, absolutely horrid. And the, the game Minnesota United beat them in the tournament. I mean, Minnesota United and Adrian Heath's club worked them in every facet of the game and has San Jose's number under Matias Almeida. But they pulled it together. They wanted this game. LAFC wanted this game. They wanted to get this one back on the schedule because it meant a lot for both of them, for San Jose to get in the playoffs and, and stay above that line and, and get above Vancouver Whitecaps. LAFC wanted it because they wanted to jump into that fourth position and stay in that fourth position. I'm sure they thought they were going to go to San Jose and get the victory. And credit where credit is due, and whether that was the game plan, whether it's Matias, whether it's the players who just executed, they got the job done. And... You know, I think, um, if anything, people are really happy for Chris Wondolowski 
that he is in the postseason, if this is his last season, and all of San Jose's got this petition out on Twitter yep. to re-sign Chris Wondolowski or bring him back or make him not retire as he sort of had one foot out the door, it sounded like, especially with the way 2020 went. Um, I think this was just a huge moment for him in his career. And if this is the end for him from a, a playing perspective, that he gets to the postseason. And I'm, I'm sure there was an element of that from his teammates. They know what he has meant to that club, and he is intense. I mean, intense. He'll, he's the first one to pick you up, but he's the first one to just absolutely crush you. And he does it, and, and he expects it of himself and of his teammates. So good for good for him to get into the postseason, and the Earthquakes deserved it down the stretch here. I signed that petition yesterday when I saw I'll it. I have to do that. I you haven't have done do that it. yet. <laughs> <laughs> one more year, one day. Come on, if you're I listening. Did get a, I did get an email about San Jose seeing if I wanted to get playoff tickets because they <laughs> haven't realized I don't live in California <laughs> for almost five years. <laughs> well, either way, I, I think everybody at Minnesota United would say the same. One more year, Wondo. You know, you've been a fabulous servant to the league, um, all-time leading goal scorer. Just give it one more year. I think it would be a shame, wouldn't it, to retire on, on, on the way that this year has gone. Totally agree. But the other thing is, too, he's been a consummate teammate coming off the bench. You cannot say he's the all-time leading scorer in MLS. Not every player would accept that role. Didn't mean he didn't fight like heck to get back into the starting 11. And, and But when he did come off the bench, he would just score. So, like, this is a player, too, that is understands his role, understands you get these big money signings, these international players, these designated players that are coming in. And he still was finding himself in the lineup. You know, worked himself back into the starting lineup, taking the place of some of the others that were expected to come in and, and bump him out of it, but also a consummate teammate off the bench. You know, and I think that that says a lot about him as a person and his character. Yeah, again, one more year, Wanda. Come on. <laughs> Do it for us. Do it for us. Okay, let's move on then, shall we? Decision day on Sunday for Major League Soccer. The playoffs, as far as, as we know, um, the schedule and whatnot has been confirmed here this morning, right as we arrived at the stadium. Uh, and it looks, Kendra, as, as if Minnesota United will play in, in round one, either on the... Uh, 21st, 22nd, or the 24th of November. That's that's round one for both the East and the Western Conference, to our knowledge. Um, <laughs> this this could now, and maybe we should save this for, for next week, but we'll, we'll talk about it as well, <laughs> shall we? Um, because we're, 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 assuming, uh, <laughs> we're assuming all is going to go well. A lot of international call-ups for Minnesota United. Jan Gregus will be going off uh, for a make-or-break game with Slovakia against Northern Ireland for a, a place in Euro 2020. Uh, Robin Lurt will be going uh, over to Finland. They've got a friendly against France and several other games uh, in the UEFA Nations League. Romain Metinier will be playing for Madagascar in some African uh, Cup of Nations qualifiers. And now we're told Kai Kamara is coming out of international retirement to go and play for Sierra Leone. Uh, who, who have some big games coming up, some qualifiers, and need some help as well. Um, as if Minnesota United weren't shorthanded enough, <laughs> what, to our knowledge, with the quarantine needs will mean will be that potentially, unless things change from, from now until, until then, Minnesota will be without those four players and the rest of the team that are currently unavailable due to injuries and other issues heading into the first round of the playoffs. That, that is borderline unbelievable. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, and that's why even in this last game against Chicago Fire 
and I completely understand the situation with the injuries and the decimation of this roster. And when we look at those unavailable loons and how many players are on it. And I think the point I was trying to kind of get across, and even in the post-game show, was ultimately you are going to have to move on from that because it's not going to get any easier. You may get, you know, Michael Boxel or Chase Gasper or Hassani Dotson or Ozzy Alonzo back in the fold, which are massive additions to return. But you just list another four guys that are, you know, starters on this club and are key pieces to what this team has been doing all season long. And when they have had success, they've likely been on the pitch for it. So I think that the mentality just has to be, it is what it is. And we have got to find a way to get the job done, regardless of who's on the field of who's on the bench, if we've trained or not, if we've had to stay home, you know, I mean, there was a point where Adrian said to us last week that he's only seen the guys passing them in the parking lot when they've come in to get their rapid testing and waved at them in, in your car. Yeah. So we understand that the, the situation and the times are difficult. And moving forward with this international break, and, and you know, you and I and Morgan were just talking about it before we started, there are so many teams that are going to be missing quality players quite possibly for this first round. And even though people are going, what do you mean? The first round is until November 20th, 21st, whatever it is. Well, because of the quarantining rules, they cannot just hop right back in. Yes. So they're done with their games and have flown back to the United States and to their respective states. But because of the quarantining rules and the situation with coronavirus, they will miss to, to our knowledge the first round of the of the postseason and ultimately I think it's one of those things that you know it's a, a massive hit to this team and to this roster and we are banking on some of those other players that we just discussed being available and off the unavailable list and being on the available side they signed the new three guys which yep. will create some depth which is going to be really important moving forward and have gotten games with usl recently they so they should be relatively game fit will they be up and up with minnesota's system and style no but at least they'll have been you know playing games recently this is just another one of those things you just have got to you've got to not dwell on it and you've got to move on because if you dwell on it it's it's going to bring everybody down and I do think a lot of it is going to be about how it's handled from the top down because that's going to they'll feed off of it everyone will feed off of it and if you have a leader like a Michael Boxel saying we got this guys doesn't matter you, you we can throw any of our 25 guys out there and we can get the job done and what whoever we're playing in the playoffs home or on the road I think that's what it's going to take it's going to take the leadership of this group and of this club to not dwell on it even though we all know what a massive massive hit that is going to be to this roster certainly a sense of get your boots ready chaps the USL boys who have come in and have had to adapt very quickly it wouldn't surprise me at all if over the next week or two we become very accustomed to the likes of Gleedle, Partida and Langsdorf we'll wait and see one team that won't be affected at all in terms of the international break is the next opponent for Minnesota United FC Dallas who they play on Sunday on decision day and as we said at the top of the podcast it's as simple as this win and Minnesota United finish fourth and they host a post-season game at Allianz Field if they tie or they lose that's when things get complicated and they could fall as far as seventh in the Western Conference meaning of course they would go on the road for a single elimination playoff game not what Minnesota United would want Kendra, with all of that in mind now, knowing the importance of this game against FC Dallas, how do you begin to prepare for what is already a quick turnaround anyway? I guess it's something that 
everybody in Major League Soccer has had to get used to now. But this is such an important game. It is different because it's not your regular bog-standard middle-of-July league game. It's, it's simply win and you're in. It's such a big game. Psychologically, physically... How do the players prepare for this? Well, first of all, I think the fact that this is home uh, on decision day for Minnesota United is a massive plus because we all know the lack of success that they've had in Dallas. I think yet to get a win there and uh, was the only goal that was scored even in Dallas, the Hassani Dotson one in that 3-1... I'm the, trying to think in the history of the club. There was, I don't a, there know. was a 5-3 win away okay. a couple of years ago, um, but Hassani Dotson was the latest goal scorer there for sure. So Minnesota has struggled in Dallas. So the fact that it is at home, I think there has to be a huge boost to this team, to this club, to this roster, and to Adrian Heath and his men. You know, let's again, we're going back to this concept and this thought of focusing on the positive. And this is a roster that Luchi Gonzalez seems to have these guys believing and clicking at just the right time. They go on the road to Nashville and get a victory and score a goal. And I believe it was Hollingshead who gets the goal early in that match. This is, I don't think they had scored a goal against Nashville all year. And they've played Nashville a number of times, as we all know, as those are the two clubs that didn't go to MLS's back and they were making up games against each other. And they went and got a win on the road in a key moment at a key time. They didn't focus on the fact that they had not beaten Nashville. They didn't focus on the fact that they hadn't scored a goal against Nashville. They focused on the fact that they could get the job done. And I think Luigi Gonzalez, this roster, these guys, clicking at the right time, regardless of the movement of the roster throughout the season. And, you know, they've got young players that Luigi is familiar with, um, that he coached through the academy. And then they've got some veterans that have really stepped up and done what they need to do. And their attack, all of a sudden, you can see it really starting to flow in the dangerous nature of their front four. And quite honestly, I mean, Minnesota's familiar with it. I mean, when we went there in that game and the 3-1 victory, it, it wasn't even as close as 3-1, you know? I mean, and Hassani's goal was brilliant, but that was like a line change in the second half. Remember, Adrian Heath wasn't happy with the play of his, of his starters and, and the feel of what was going on, makes a line change basically, and there was a real spark and an energy to start the second half, and they get one back. But ultimately, they looked really good going forward, and Frank O'Hara is even miles better and more comfortable than he was at that moment in time, and I think they finally figured out how to play with him up top. Yeah, two goals in his last two games, Frank O'Hara. Um, the worry is coming into this, Kinder, from a Minnesota point of view. FC Dallas have won three straight, and they've just found form and momentum at the exact right time. Minnesota, as we've said already several times, are supremely short-handed. <laughs> Again, you would assume the USL players would, would play some part in this game on Sunday. Um, you mentioned Marlon Hairston, perhaps not having his best game. He's, he's not really traditionally a central midfielder. Mm-hmm. Am I crazy to think that perhaps we see Kevin Partida come in and start his first game for Minnesota in the center of midfield? There's two things for me there. I don't know what the status is of Hassani Dotson and sure. if he will be available. We all know he's not up to full game fitness, even if he was available. But we've seen him at times doing some running out on the field, and I don't know how much he's working with the training staff even during this last couple weeks. So that would be my first thing is, is Hassani Dotson available? And if he is available, is he a better option than Partita? I know that this team and this club uh, and Adrian and his staff are very high on Partita and what he brings to the table. We talk again about him being match fit. 
it. I mean, he supposedly is lights out in the center of midfield and can, you know, pick the pass out and, and be dangerous going forward, but sit back and, and defend as well. But it's the partnership aspect. We cannot underestimate, again, I think, the the chemistry between the two central midfielders. And there will be a familiarity there if Hassani Dotson is available to play alongside Jan Grigouche. And I think that will be a, a deciding, defining factor. Will Partita be on the bench one way or another if he's ready to go from a quarantining perspective? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I would think that you would have to have him. I wouldn't be shocked to see him slide into that spot. But between Ja'Cory Hayes and Hassani Dotson and what their level of fitness is and their availability, I would think that Adrian Heath might see if he could get 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes out of one of those two if they are fit and healthy and ready to go because of the importance of this game, the chemistry, the familiarity of having them in that central spot. But it also depends, too, for me, on who's behind him. Who is available, you know, because, again, going back to that familiarity aspect, if you have, you know, say it's Brent Coleman and Jose Aha again, I have no idea what the health of the players are and the availability. And then you throw a partita in front of him. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think that's a lot to ask of a group that's hardly been able to train together and be, and be familiar. You hope that the soccer IQ and instincts just kicks in. But let's just hope that these USL guys come out and light the world on fire if they do get their opportunity because they, this is a tryout for them. This is an opportunity for them to show what they can do at this level with this club. Yeah, it'll be um, really, really intriguing. Um, and it's safe to say the biggest game of the season, probably never bigger for Minnesota United in their Major League Soccer era. And they will need performances from their big players, Kindred. They'll need performances from the likes of Kevin Molino, Emmanuel Reynoso and whatnot. So much reliance on them against FC Dallas. Yeah, I mean, I think from an attacking perspective, we need to see that magic again. We need to see that combination. We need to see that fire. Um, and from a, uh, an attacking perspective, whoever is the number nine on the night, I think that the continue to get that chemistry to develop, to hold up play, make the runs, draw out the defenders, whatever you need to do to create the space and be available for Emmanuel Reynoso and Kevin Molino. Because, you know, from an attacking perspective, I think a goal early is going to make a massive difference in this game, especially at home. My thanks, as always, to Kindred East St. Aubin, our producer Morgan Lupin. Um, it's safe to say <laughs> it's the biggest game of the season. Decision day on Sunday. Looking forward to your company. All the games around Major League Soccer on the Eastern Conference start at 2.30. The West then gets underway at 5.30 Central. You can join us on Fox Sports North, 5 p.m. Uh, looking forward to your company there. Of course, you can join the boys on the radio as well on Score North at a similar time. Minnesota up against FC Dallas Sunday. We'll see you, 5.30. Thank you.